0: church for having my family and I be with you for the next couple Sundays. Uh, It is truly uh, a blessed opportunity just to be here at Cecilia Baptist. Uh, As Austin mentioned, I I have been in this area for a good number of years and actually have driven by Cecilia Baptist for probably 20 years. Uh, I've never been in the building until today, but I have driven by this Church for for decades. Uh, I grew up in Hancock County, which is just down 86, then you go through Breckenridge County and down Highway 60 along the river, and the next county over is Hancock County. And so, as a student at Campbellsville, I drove Highway 86 back and forth every single time I went home or came to school. Uh, I've become very familiar with Highway 86. I know Cecilia. I know the railroad tracks. I know when you get stuck behind a you know, little, little uh, train. I've become very familiar with this part of the, the state. And, and actually, our family has a bit of a, of a memory just right down the road here on Highway 86. It's kind of a, uh, a memory we'd like to get rid of. But in November of 2008... We had a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Our children were boys, little guys. And we were traveling home on Thanksgiving uh, to go celebrate Thanksgiving with my family. And just a little bit past the railroad tracks, which I guess, which direction? They're over here, right? Yeah, that way. Thank you. Okay, (laughs) a real little past the railroad tracks. Our youngest, our one-year-old at the time, uh, began having seizures. Uh, He had Contracted roseola, which is a childhood disease that causes fevers to spike. And the fevers were resulting in him having uh, a seizure. And so we pull over and, and we're literally in the ditch just just right down the way. And I'm on the phone calling 911. And my wife has got the baby out of the car seat. And, and she's out in the, the ditch, basically, on her knees yelling for Jesus's help. And when I say yelling, only mothers can understand that kind of yell. And my little three-year-old, still in the car seat, he looks over to me and he says, Daddy, why is Mommy yelling at Jesus? <laughs> and to explain, well, she's just praying really loud right now. And uh, the EMS got there so quick. I mean, within just minutes, off the hard memorial we go. And we're there the whole Thanksgiving break uh, for him to recover and recover. Good doctors and good physicians knew exactly what to do and and we were able to be uh, cared for. But it is good to have a new memory of Cecilia to replace that memory 10 years ago. So from here on out, I'll try to put that memory aside and remember our time here at Cecilia Baptist. So again, thank you so much for having us uh, come. Uh, If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And just a few moments, I'm going to read verses 14 through 17. John chapter 1. I want to point your attention for the next couple Sundays to John's account of the arrival of Jesus. John's gospel is different than the other accounts of Jesus' arrival, Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel, speaks of angels and shepherds and wise men, Uh, speaks of a star in the night sky, a census that had to be taken, Uh, speaks of little Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph and a manger. John's gospel doesn't mention any of those details. It doesn't include any of those items for us to think on. John's gospel begins with Jesus' arrival as an announcement of something huge, something enormous, something significant has taken place. It's it's an announcement of something profound that the timeline of history has now been divided into the time before and the time of Jesus' arrival. You don't have a little nativity scene in John's gospel. You don't have shepherds lowly in the fields. No, you have an announcement that something has broke forth. Something has broken in and something has now changed all of eternity. John's gospel starts in a way that sets the stage for really all of John's writing about Jesus and that he's going to portray Jesus and clearly describe Jesus as the one that God has sent, the one and only Son of God who has come into the world to save sinners from their sin. If you have been saved by the blood of Jesus, can you say amen? It's a transformational announcement. It's something majestic, something wholly different than anything the world had ever known. John's gospel will open this announcement by describing Jesus in in a way that is so key, and I want to focus on those descriptors today and next Sunday, that Jesus is both full of grace and truth. That the Jesus that we worship and the Jesus we serve and the Jesus that has saved us is full of both grace and truth. It's not either or, it's both and. This is what John wants us to know. We read this in John chapter 1 starting in verse 14. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Version. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the word... "...became flesh and dwelt among us. We have observed His glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth." Full of what? Grace and truth. John the Baptist testified concerning Him and exclaimed, "...this was the one of whom I said..." The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What came through Jesus Christ? Grace and truth. Friends, this morning, if you have the sermon insert, please take it out. And I just want to talk for a few moments about grace upon grace upon grace. And we'll tackle truth next Sunday. You know, there's much in the Christmas season about someone special coming to town. There's even a song we sing. Maybe you have heard it. Oh, you better watch out. You better not You better not cry. I'm telling you why. This is the crowd participation section of the sermon. Engage as often as you like. Who's coming to town? Santa Claus is coming to town. And, you know, I've always found that song quite terrifying to children. You better not cry. You better not fuss. If you do, guess what? Someone's going to know, and he's... Checking a list and he's checking it twice. I mean, what if our employers thought these ways about us in our work? He's taking a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out if you've been naughty or nice because who's coming to town? Santa Claus is coming to town. Y'all have heard that song, have you not? Cecilia Baptist, have you heard that song? I'm going to goad you until you participate. That's what I do with my students. That's what I'm going to do with you. Okay, are we in agreement? All right. We terrify children with this announcement that someone's coming to town, someone special's coming to town, and he's watching, and he's waiting, and he's taking a note, and he's taking lists, and you're going to be on one of two sides. Well, John wants to announce someone has come. That someone has arrived. It it, it reminds me more of the joy-filled arrivals when we know that in his coming, grace has come in his coming, that Maybe Jesus is not to terrify children. Jesus is not to scare us onto behavior modification. It's not about being good or being naughty. It's not about being on a list or not being on a list. No, there is grace upon grace in the coming of Jesus. Amen? Verse 14, look at that with me again. It says, The Word, the Word, that's Jesus, the Logos, The Son of God has become flesh and has dwelt among us. The Word has become flesh. Jesus, who existed before eternity was ever eternity, before time ever began to be calculated. Jesus, who was God, who is God, who was with God in the beginning, John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, and through Him, all things that were created were created by Him and for Him and through Him. That this God the Son, who is co-equal with God the Father and God the Spirit, who brought everything that we know of the universe into existence, became human flesh. That seems like a big deal. And he became human flesh in the same way and in the same fashion that you and I became human flesh. Born of a woman, born as an infant, a baby. Human flesh with muscle and bone, with all the frailties of the human body included. He became human flesh. He dwells among us. John writes in the first person there in verse 14, he says, and we have observed his glory. We first person, John saying, I've seen it. I've experienced it. I know it to be true. We have experienced his glory and it's the glory of the one and only son from the father. This is glorious, friends. It's something that we should feel the weight of that glory. Paul will say in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God that if we want to know what God is like we only have to look at what Jesus was like. In Philippians chapter 2 Paul will say though He had equality with God. He did not seem to take that on, but instead made himself submissive unto God and came in the form of human flesh. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, you have received grace upon grace in that Jesus has come and he's come in human form so that you and I could understand what God is like. Because in our human weakness, we probably wouldn't understand the bigness of God, the greatness of God, the glory of God, if we couldn't see it in the human frailty of our own eyes, our own experience, our own life. But Jesus has come and he has shown us grace. And I can imagine if I went around this room this morning... Though none of you have actually seen him with your own physical eyes, none of you have heard him with your own audible ear canals, though you've never touched him, you could say you have personally experienced the glory of the one and only Son from the Father. How is that? You didn't live in the time he lived, you never walked the places he walked. You weren't even born in the same millennium at which he was born. Well, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 8 and 9 tells us exactly how it works. The scripture says, for you have not seen him, you love him. And though you are not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Friends, we have a glorious Savior who has come and though we haven't seen him with our own eyes and though we can't touch him with our own hands, we can believe in him and love him because he has shown his glory throughout all the ages. Amen. Amen. There's grace in His coming. You know, there's also grace in His saving. John wants us to understand that in verse 16. Look with me there again. Are you doing okay? Are you with me? Say, I'm with you. I have to do that sometimes with my center kid, kiddos. If you're with me, say, you're with me. I may have to do that at Cecilia Baptist here a little bit. Are you with me? Verse 16. Again, first person, John says, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. Say that phrase with me again, grace upon grace. Say it with me, grace upon grace. Uh, Turn to your neighbor and say, you got grace upon grace. Uh, Turn to some other neighbor and say, and you've even got more grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. You know, it's an interesting way to describe something. John, the writer of this gospel, he, he, he wants to express a compounding effect of grace. Grace upon grace. It, it could really be an infinite arrangement of that. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It's meant more than just the two graces. It's really the sense of numerous graces. Grace upon grace upon grace. And through Jesus' salvation, we have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Uh, Let me ask you, and this is the most interesting ornament right here in front of me. Uh, How many of you like mashed potatoes? like mashed potatoes. Over Thanksgiving and Christmas break, I was at my mother-in-law and she makes outstanding mashed potatoes. Uh, My wife makes great mashed potatoes. I love mashed potatoes. I like them at Cracker Barrel, if you've been there. I like them at Old Charlie's, you know, little garlic mashed potatoes. I like them with the skin on mashed potatoes. I like mashed potatoes with gravy. Can I get an amen? That's the most strong amen all morning. Gravy. I like mashed potatoes with a little butter, you know. Have you ever made that little well and you just put the cube of butter right in there and so that it makes like a little island right in the middle of the mashed potatoes? Amen, Amen, brother. Amen. What if, let's say you were going to a restaurant that had a buffet line, a serving line, and you were to walk through with an empty plate... And let's say they were serving maybe roast or, oh yeah, definitely roast. Roast, potatoes, what do you need? you got to have a good plate of mashed potatoes. Carrots, green beans. And let's say you're walking through the line and you have an empty plate and you put your plate out for the server to put some mashed potatoes on your plate and they pull out a teaspoon. This is disastrous, right? Put a teaspoon of mashed potatoes. Teaspoon? Who are you? You say, no, no, hang on, hang on. Please, please, don't embarrass me. We need a little something bigger. So they they pull out an ice cream scoop. Uh, Kids in the schools, high schools, middle schools, you've seen that ice cream scoop of mashed potatoes. It looks like a dome, (laughs) perfectly shaped. You know, puts out a dome of mashed potatoes. No, 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 sir, please, ma'am. I need... More mashed potatoes than a teaspoon or a, or a ice cream scoop. And let's say they're just being a little bit silly and a little bit embarrassed, and so they pull out a bucket shovel. <laughs> now we're getting serious. I mean, one of those you scrape your sidewalk with when it snows. They're going to get you now a real shovel of mashed potatoes, and they put that on your plate. Now you're getting the sense of what John is trying to understand. It's not a teaspoon of grace. It's not an ice cream scoop of grace. It's a bucket of grace. It's a scoop upon scoop upon scoop. It's an infinite amount. Friends, upon Jesus' fullness and upon his coming in his work in our lives, we have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't do anything for it. You can't make it become more or less because of God's love for you and his willing to save sinners. You have been saved by grace. Paul wants us to know that. He writes in Romans chapter 5. Since by one man's trespass. That's Adam. Death has reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive. The overflow of grace. And the gift of righteousness. Reign in life through that one man. Jesus Christ. Of course the most. Known passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. And this says, God also has raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages God might display the immeasurable riches of His what? His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And it's not of yourself. It is a gift from who? It's a gift from God. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Friends, we have received through Jesus grace upon grace. In his coming, in his saving. But let me give you one last. Through his forgiving If you have your Bible still open, I would invite you just as I close, turn over to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, tells of a story of Jesus being invited to the home of a Pharisee named Simon. You can imagine. If you know anything about Jesus, you know that his dealings with the Pharisees aren't always the most friendly. There's bumps in that relationship. There's difficulties in that relationship. But at some point, Simon has invited Jesus to come to his home for a meal, to to sit around the table and to hear from Jesus. And undoubtedly, Simon would have invited some of his other Pharisee friends, maybe some of the other leaders that he hangs out with and you can almost imagine a a house party, a a dinner party occasion and Jesus is the honored guest and he goes friends remember Jesus dined with sinners and tax collectors and he dined with the religious and the Pharisee. Jesus always entered an invitation that had come. But somewhere along the evening someone breaks in uninvited Unbeknownst to Simon, who's the homeowner, unbeknownst to Jesus, who's the guest, someone breaks in and it's, it's a woman. A woman that everybody in that community knew everything about. And she bursts in. She begins crying. And she's at Jesus' feet. And with her tears, she begins to wash his feet, and with her hair, her hair. Clean the dirt off of his feet. And she takes this jar. Of perfume. Breaks it and pours it on his feet. You can only imagine Simon. The homeowner. The Pharisee. What's going on here? What's happening here? I mean, I don't know how many of you have house parties or home dinner parties. And random people break in. And. Perform a whole display of worship and humility right in the middle of your Christmas dinner, your Tuesday night gathering. But Simon begins to whisper primarily to himself, but you would think maybe even he's giving the look. He's making eyes to the others around him. The scripture says that he says unto himself, but you can almost sense that it's emitting from him that if Jesus knew who this woman was, he would have never let her do what she's doing. If he knew her past, her present, knew her reputation, knew her place in society, he would never allow this. If he was really a prophet, if he was really a righteous man, a dignitary for God, he would never let this woman touch him. And let me tell you, friends, Jesus is full of grace, but he's also full of truth. And without even hearing Simon's words spoken, he Responds to Simon in this parable. And the parable goes something like this. There were two men who owed a debt. One small, one large. And those that they owed the debt to forgave them both. Both debts wiped away. The small and the large completely erased. And Jesus asked which of the two would love the one who owed or owned the debt more. Now, Simon is a teacher of the law. He's a Pharisee. He's trained in the the Torah, the Old Testament law. He says, well, if you've got a small debt and a large debt and both are forgiven. Who's going to be more thankful? Who's going to be more appreciative? It's the one with the bigger debt. Jesus answers, you have rightly said so. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. And then he does something spectacular, friends. He turns to the woman, yet still speaking to Simon. And he says, even though her sins are many, because she has loved much, she has been forgiven much. And then he looks at her in the face and says, your sins are forgiven. Grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. And if we all looked at our hearts. We all looked at our souls. We might act like Simon the Pharisee. But every one of us in this room is the woman on our knees. Because we know our hearts we know our failures. We know our mistakes. We know our regrets. We know where we have failed the Lord. By not doing what was right. Or we have failed the Lord because we were disobedient. And we know we should have done what was best. And he says to each one of us. Though your sins are many. They are forgiven. Grace. Grace. Upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. We have received grace in his coming. We have received grace in his salvation. And every one of us have received grace in his forgiveness. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Just as your heads are bowed and you're thinking about your life. Maybe this morning you recognize you have been unthankful for the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Maybe you haven't savored how much grace has been applied to your life. Maybe you haven't even noticed How much grace has been appropriated to you. And you just in your heart right now feel an abundance, an inexpressible joy of gratitude for the grace that has been shown to you. Maybe in the moments that we sing, you're just going to spend time lifting up thanksgiving, lifting up a heart of of appreciation and, and glorious worship for the grace that's been applied to your life. Maybe others of you in this room would say, I am that woman. I just need to fall at the feet of Jesus. I need to confess my sin before him so I can receive his gracious offer of forgiveness. We're going to have some of our pastors here available. The altar is always open. If you would like someone to pray with you, pray alongside of you, or pray alone, you're more than welcome to come. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have a time of invitation and response. Dear God, we thank you that you sent Jesus full of grace and truth. We're thankful that Jesus came and showed the world that you had a purpose and a plan to save sinners. We're so thankful. And amidst all of our mistakes and our failures, all of our regrets, you show grace upon grace to each and every one of us. Father, we just allow your spirit to move now in this time of response. Whatever you're laying on the hearts of these brothers and sisters, I pray that they would respond appropriately in worship, in prayer, in repentance, in surrender, in obedience. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?